0: Holy, totally, holy, totally, dinky doodles. They we were terrible. I'm so one. I love it. Honey, lad. Let's go again. Who paid for the nachos? No rain, no
1: wind, nor snow classico. Hello Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi in Red. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard and it is Monday, September 5th, 2022. Happy Labor Day! Uh, Arsenal are invincibles no more in the Premier League. Uh, The UEFA Champions League is coming back, and Sacramento Republic are one win away from the biggest accomplishment uh, for a USL championship team possibly ever, or at least since the Rochester Raging Rhinos defeated the Rapids right before the turn of the century. And Paulo Nagamura, breaking news, folks, uh, just a few minutes before we started recording this podcast, is out as the head coach of the Houston Dynamo, having not completed his first year with the club joining me now to reluctantly discuss a nil-nil draw with dc united rabbi mark goodman
0: hey guys how's it going six games in a row without a victory that's all I got that's, that's, that's all I
1: got to say yeah rough rough double game week Mark um, let's get into it um, I should say folks I guess one Bennett one good thing that I think Mark and I can agree on is the Rapids started the game in Nashville and the game in DC better than they started against Philadelphia Union and that's why you didn't hear 35 minutes of dead air after the intro this week on the podcast so um, if nothing else Mark congratulations to Robin Fraser and the boys on achieving that but Rabbi we have held off on part to the second half of your looking at uh, Rapids DA Academy players who we should care about here in Rapidland. What does your magical spreadsheet of all of the information have for us today?
0: Magical spreadsheet. Oh, magical spreadsheet. May I rub my hands upon you and may you reveal your truths. Or may I just update you every once in a while when I get tired of watching the Rapids fumble their way through yet another season. When last we left, the magical spreadsheet a couple weeks ago. We covered birth year 2003. We hit up Andrew Cordes, James Doige, Colin Keller, and Vladimir Walent. Walent is the most exciting of those. He's heading off to Wake Forest. We're up to the 2004s. Matt, you know some names in here. Uh, the most prominent of those is Darren Yapi, a midfielder who had a U.S. youth national team call up to the U-17s in February of 2020 And then was signed as a professional last year with these here Colorado Rapids senior team. Uh, He hasn't played much this year for the senior team uh, except in preseason. He's played a bunch for the twos and, of course, Los Dos. uh, The Cobras, not a very good team this year, uh, as we'll uh, – I'm not going to mention it again, but I will mention it again. But I won't mention it again. I'm just going to mention some other players. Um, on this list that, that played for them today, but they took a five nothing shellacking at the hand of Sporting Kansas City. That score comes to you virtually live. It just uh, that that game just ended, and they also suffered yet another injury on the back line. Five to nothing. Um, They've been better before that. They've had a couple of uh, of uh, results before that. Um, so that's Darren Yappi. We hope that uh, he makes some strides. Joshua Harden after the injury today. Um, to one of the backliners stepped in on the defense and was uh, unfortunately at fault, or not personally at fault, but along the back line for I think either three or four of those goals. But Harden, a defender, is committed to Akron, expected graduation date of 2026, is a top drawer soccer four-star uh, player. Um, and before tonight's game, he had, uh, at least according to my last uh, update a couple weeks ago, Four minutes total played for the team. So tonight he, I think, stepped in at around the 30th minute. So he would have got 60 solid minutes. Griffin Moore, a defender of uh, birth year 2004, is committed to Kentucky. He'll be a freshman there next year. Also a a TDS four-star player. The third four-star player out of these here, birth year two thousand fours is Isaac Neme. Neme, a goalkeeper. He's been the backup for Rapids 2. Hasn't played any minutes yet. Um, because Abrod has been stepping in and doing that. Neme committed to DU, so you could see him um, possibly this year, possibly more like next year. Uh, graduation date expected 2006. Cam Cullen Wilkerson, uh, a midfielder committed to UCLA, probably won't play much this year, but again, another TDS four-star player. So that is, count them, four four-star players. In birth year two thousand four, so for those who say, "Oh my God, the farm is bare," the farm is not bare. It's just a little um, delayed. Uh, there's a lot of good players who will need at least a year or two of seasoning. Of course, Akron, DU, and UCLA all very top-notch programs, highly uh, respected. Um, additional 2004s, is Nicholas Legendre is a uh, commit to North uh, to Notre Dame. Notre Dame is in uh, the ACC. I know that that sounds confusing, but uh, it's true. Um, so, And the good thing about Notre Dame is they almost always play um, these here Pitt Panthers. So maybe I'll get a shot to see Nicholas Leg- Legendre in the next couple years. Uh, Sam Oveson, another uh, academy player, is committed to Penn State. They also often play against Pitt, so maybe I'll see him. Matt McPherson, a goalkeeper, off to Dartmouth, also expected graduation date 2026. And the last of our 2004s to mention is McClovio Sweat. Let him see his sweat. Uh, Midfielder, he's committed to UNC Chapel Hill. Probably the best year-over-year soccer program in these here United States. And Max Sweat has four starts, had four starts as of the 20th for Rapids 2. He played, I think, at least two more games since then, including tonight. Um, So, Max Sweat is really a guy to watch. He's been kind of a central attacking midfielder for these guys. Birth year 2005, only three guys to mention. Keith Chavaria was on the bench tonight for uh, Rapids 2. He has invites to both the U14 and U17 USYNT national training camp. Um, Surreal McCain... Is a uh, TDS rated player and additionally a member of the Rapids U 17s. And Kevin Tlaxcalteco, T L A X C L A T E C O, was a U 14 U.S. national team regional training camp invitee a few years ago. And finally, birth year 2006. Two players to mention. So these guys are, you know, it's 2006. So these are like, what, 16-year-olds basically, Matt? And these are them some kids. Some of them are, you know, likely to be 15-year-olds um, still. Uh, Adam Boudry, a goalkeeper, was an August 2022 call-up for the USYNT U-17 training. And Tadeo Razo, also uh, a August 2022 call-up for the USYNT U-17. U-17 training. Razo is a defender. So I can't tell you too much more about those guys. That is the full lid on our academy teams. Um, it's I wouldn't say it's slim pickings, but I would say that uh, as of right now, it feels like um, most of the guys in the O 4s are likely to stick around in college for at least two years of seasoning, um, and there's a decent chance that none of these guys are going to be uh, you know ready for a professional career uh, anytime soon um, until graduation. I think we're really this year keeping our eyes out on um, the 2001s, birth year 2001s are likely to graduate this year. There's a few guys out there that we're excited about. And the 2000s um, are also some guys who may still yet come to the Colorado Rapids. So that's all I got for you, Matt. That's the Academy update for 2022.
1: One question that I have for you, Mark, you're more in tune with college soccer than I am obviously following the Pitt women's team and just, you know, being aware of the ACC, Mark, if there's two, if I were to say, if there's two college conferences when it comes to men's soccer that you want to pay attention to, I'd say be the ACC and then the Pac-12 I don't know how with the recent news of UCLA and USC moving to the Big Ten, what that means long term. But certainly for the for the players who are currently committed to a college program joining in the next year or two, for the players currently in college, this question is not relevant. Um, how would you say the distribution is in terms of us sending – uh, getting players committed to and then ultimately enrolling in the typical college blue bloods. It seems like a good number of DU guys and then kind of a smattering all over the map. I think about FC Dallas or same where MLS academies like the LA Galaxy were 10 years ago when college was absolutely the route that they were going to. You focus kind of locally in state or on the local conference for the California schools, for the West Coast schools. That would have been the Pac-12 for the Eastern Conference teams that mostly would have been the ACC and maybe a little bit of Big Ten. Denver's kind of in a weird Weird position because CU men's soccer is not relevant in the Pac-12. Though you do have DU locally, but you know, I think about you know, I think about the LA Galaxy Academy players that I would have been paying attention to in like 2014. It's are you going to UCLA? Are you going to Berkeley or Stanford or one of those things? And then if you're going somewhere else, it has to be somewhere reasonable for a soccer reason. So Maryland, Wake Forest, um, maybe a Georgetown if they're a super nerd or something. Where would you say in terms of the? you know, the health of the program in terms of getting kids into college soccer powerhouses to where even if they're not ready to contribute Rapids to on loan PDL first team by 20, you know, by the time they're 18 years old, by the time they're 21, 22, they're a viable option in ways that maybe Sam Rabin, former Wake Forest Demon Deacon was not ready for the Rapids first team in 2019.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, asking the question, uh, which conferences would you want to send your, your players to? Um, you're pretty much right that the Pac-12 has a couple of really powerhouse teams like Stanford and UCLA um, that really stand out. Oregon has produced some really good players in the past also. Um, and then it, it is ACC all the way as the top conference year over year. But then you get some outliers like DU, like you mentioned, um, another interesting outlier that's been a historically good soccer program is Indiana. Um, they come out of the big 10. And so that's very odd because when you're a player in those conferences, you're trying to think to yourself, like how am I going to play against the top talent that are going to make it look like I'm ready for the NCAA Georgetown. Another example of that. Um, you know, they play in the big, big East and they don't play a lot of really good, um, competition. Um, but, you know, they'll, they'll schedule a, a strong non-conference schedule in order to make sure they get there. Two other outliers on there are St. Louis and Akron, uh, both excellent programs that have historically been really, really talented. So, you know, you, you kind of want to keep your eye on those, those teams. Um, and then there's like a few other, one or two additional weird little outliers, like UC Santa Barbara has produced a significant number of good players. San Jose State over time has also... Um, you know, their biggest alumni, of course, um, being uh, Chris Wondolowski. So um, you've got some really good teams that aren't really notable. And then, you know, one last piece to, to add to that is um, historically Pitt has never really been much of a program. And then over the last couple of years, they've really turned it on and been top five for three straight years. That means that every team that they play in the region which is uh, usually they pick up a couple matches against the Philadelphia schools because they're close by. They always play West Virginia because it's the nearest school. Um, that really makes a difference. And so those are, those are some of the ways in which you can kind of shorthand keep an eye on a Rapids player or another academy player. You could just click on any of those schools' rosters and go down and they'll, they'll tell you who their academy what, – what players played for what academy – And then you can kind of show it. The other great resource, of course, is um, TDS, uh, Top Drift Soccer. Uh, You know, they do a few articles a year on these players that are um, not paywalled. Um, But a lot of their like their top 100 list is paywalled. So that makes it a little bit hard um, for us to kind of really get full access to what the ratings are and so on. So um, but, you know, you can always just kind of keep on Twitter and see who commits to what schools to get a sense of where things are headed.
1: Yeah, good point on that front, Mark. And I should point out, uh, Mark, that Jimmy Frank and his Denver Pioneers are uh, just getting are still on a road trip. They got a two nothing win at Maryland, and then over the weekend or today, excuse me, earlier today, they drew Georgetown by a score of one to one. So Sam Bassett and the Pio is certainly off to a good season. You know, I'd be curious to see, Mark. I think about other like Academy hotspots you have and everything, and Scott Gallagher was all of the rage um, when I was in St. Louis, and that's now been folded into the St. Louis City Academy program and I'm curious to see once they launch from an MLS level what does that change where guys are typically going because to your point um the big local school that their equivalent to DU would have been um would have been SLU St. Louis University a couple of the lesser players or players with maybe less I don't want to say academic ambition but you know aren't the nerds so to speak uh, would go across the river to um, I think it's Southern Illinois University it's the their mascot's like a greyhound dog but it has a weird name I think it's Salukis Salukis thank you and then it was and then it was a lot of Big Ten and then I kind of a smattering of other schools as well so I'd be curious um, I'd be curious to see if somebody were to do like a like a full heat map of where every single other you know do the MLS academies are there geographic like local emphases like are, is dc or is fc dallas's academy over the course of their history sending academy players is it mostly texas schools is it mostly big 12 schools is it mostly schools in and around the dallas area i think it's a really good question or you know are we seeing a, a proper representation of players across you know i guess dc united would be the local team for the university of virginia but you know i'm thinking um you know uh San Jose Earthquakes Academy isn't anything to necessarily rave about, but I have to imagine most academies that are worth their salt have had somebody go to Stanford in the last 15 years or so. But just my two cents. Anything else Academy front, Mark? Or shall we get to the week that was for the Burgundy Boys?
0: I mean, I think just to sum up the Academy, it's it looks um, it looks a little soft right now, but the Rapids have done a pretty good job of mining other academies for a few players here and there. And then um, they've, they've been a little bit uh, lucky in the last couple of years to bring up a couple of players like Yapi and Toure. Um, so, you know, it's always a bit of a surprise. Guys kind of come out of nowhere. Sometimes, unfortunately, they go back to nowhere. Like Matt Hunley had a huge spring of run of goals a couple of years ago in um, the academy, Got, earned himself a national team call-up, earned himself uh, a professional contact with the Rapids, And then very quickly kind of went very cold and and stopped really progressing as a player. And that was it. Um, It's really hard to evaluate these guys. You just really can't tell the difference to some degree between your Chris Wondolowskis, your Dylan Cernas, and your, you know, like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Gail Agbosamondi. um, I may have mis- mispronounced that. Gale, actually is was how it's was pronounced. Um, Google it, Matt. Gale Agbosamande was a player with the 2013 Colorado Rapids who came out of somebody else's academy. I think the D.C. United Academy played like, I don't know, 15 minutes for the Colorado Rapids and then disappeared into oblivion. So you just don't know whether these guys are going to turn into studs or duds
1: speaking of duds listeners this past wednesday at geodes park in in nashville tennessee uh the colorado rapids were defeated by nashville by a score of four to one in their first ever visit to that stadium the rapids start off well the pressing is good they were doing well in possession and they gave little space to nashville once they won the ball back michael barrios with the first really big good chance of the game in the 11th minute with a shot from outside the box that was nicely saved by the goalkeeper. And then all of that hard work, Mark, through 25 minutes and change, completely went down the drain in the 26th minute when Nashville springs a counterattack. Randall Leal gets small in the box and Lucas Estevez awkwardly runs into him. Randall Leal goes down relatively easy. We'll Discuss penalties and what should have happened, Mark, in a couple minutes. But Hani Mukhtar converts that, the MVP candidate, to make it 1-0. Rapids respond six minutes later with Jossi Zardes when they tap in. Nicely finished into the upper 90 from Stephen Bateshire and Diego Rubio. That makes it 1-1, 35th minute. There's a PK shout for CJ Sapong as he and Keegan Rosenberry battle for a ball off of a rebound in the 44th minute. Ultimately, the half ends up being 1-1. No PK there for Big Africa. Gets into the second half in Nashville. Clearly the battle team, Schaffelberg, gets a bunch of really good opportunities. Honey Mukhtar makes it 2-1 in the 45th minute. Uh, There's a turnover off of a goal kick uh, to Jonathan Lewis. Ultimately, a shot gets deflected, and Mukhtar is there. Or excuse me, Mukhtar has the shot, and then Yarbrough deflects it, gets a paw on it. But then it goes into the upper 90, or the top Left-hand corner, 3-1 in the 61st minute. Lalas Abubakar with a turnover. CJ Sapong has his shot blocked after the counterattack, and then Schaffelberg is there for the rebound. Nightmare moment for Lawless on that one, where he turns the ball over with numbers upfield, and Nashville just able to pounce on it too easily at the halfway line. Leal gets denied by... Um, uh, Yarbrough in the 66th minute. There's a PK shout for Michael Barrios battling with Daniel Lovitz in the 68th minute. Nothing called there. Uh, and then in the 75th minute, uh, Honey Mukhtar completes his hat trick to make it 4 second straight game in which an opponent scored a hat trick against the Colorado Rapids. He gets him rebound off of a Randall Leal shot, and he beats Keegan Rosenberry to it, heads it into the back of the net. And the Rapids, despite... A decent start, Mark, despite a lot of huffing and puffing and a good 25 minutes ultimately come away with nothing. This season has turned to ash in their mouths, and Robin Fraser was not holding back. But, Mark, I will throw it to you first. Any good things?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, we we went 1-1 into the half. Um, and I think against a top team like Nashville, that's a pretty, pretty good thing. Um, they... They earned the penalty that they gave up to Hani Mukhtar, so I can't really complain about that. But Jassi Artist goal was a nice one, and I thought it was really well worked by Betashore and I think uh, it was Rubio on the first pass, right, who gets the MLS assist on that one, uh, which helped my fantasy team, of course. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the... the the inability to adjust the the post half collapse very quick collapse you know the nine minutes into the half Mukhtar gets a second um, was not a great was not a great sign but but this team I wasn't confident about this match to begin with Nashville's very good um, the Rapids did exactly what we kind of expected them to do so um, Matt did you have uh, thoughts on a good thing or or do you just want to pivot?
1: Right into the bad things. Uh, Rubio wore the captain's armband. I looked this up and I think I tweeted this out at the time. It's been the first time in a while that he's worn the armband. It's been William Yarbrough when Jack Price hasn't been available for the vast majority of this season. Um, and I thought he showed his energy. I thought he shows composure on the ball. He was a typical bulldog in kind of that number 10 ish role or withdrawn striker, however you want to call it, depending on the formation. Um, I thought he had a good game. I think on the whole of the 90 minutes, there's not a lot of players for the Rapids that I can say that about. Maybe the other one would be William Yarbrough, Mark. We're looking at, you know, he just got his first clean sheet and it feels like a million years. On uh, yesterday, on Sunday. And so we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, you know, I think Will still, even when the defense in front of him hasn't been organized, even when he hasn't gotten any help or support from that front, he still found his way to make big saves and keep the Rapids in games from a scoreline standpoint or at the very least keep the final the full-time scoreline from being a total embarrassment as opposed to a mostly embarrassment. So those would be kind of the two individuals that I would call out that I was particularly impressed with. Um, before we go to bad things, Mark, I think we do need to break down the individual penalties. We'll start with the, or the the three potential PKs. Um, so we'll start chronological order, Mark, with the only PK that was ultimately called In the game, Randall Leal on the ball, Lucas Estevez coming up and making contact with him in the upper body area, and Leal goes down relatively easy. I understand why it was called. I can get that the referee was in a really poor position in terms of judging point of contact, level of contact, maybe a little bit intent as opposed to, you know, he had—it would have been Leal, and he would have been facing— leal and then estevez is back and estevez would have been his entire body would have been in the way from the point of contact but i think leal goes down way too easily i think var i i think if uh, i think if if i were in the referee's position i would have had var look at it and i would have overturned that penalty call even had i made that call in real time you know mark you said that ultimately nashville earned their penalty i'm not sure if you were referring to the second pk incident but your thoughts just, no, no, a, just the first so you thought the first one was a penalty
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Um, it just felt like he he there was enough contact to to uh, to count it as 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 a legitimate penalty.
1: And then on the second one, Mark, which would have been in the forty fourth minute of the. First half, you have that incident where, um, you know, the ball's right there for Sapong or Keegan Rosenberry to bounce on it, and they both kind of go for it. I have this after looking at it multiple times from the replay, Mark. I have this also not as a penalty, but I think of the three that we're talking about, this is the most egregious, or the one that I would have had the least complaints about had it been called a penalty. I think Keegan Rosenberry. L- Goes for the ball first, lunging with his leg, and then Sabong is later to react to it. In that, Keegan Rosenberry establishes position, and then Sabong hits Keegan's leg. They both go to ground, and then Sabong wanted a penalty in that situation. I could argue that Keegan Rosenberry doesn't get near the ball, he doesn't get close to the ball, and then maybe in there you could judge intent or at the very least no actual active play on the ball, and then ultimately Sabong was in a position to make a play on the ball, and then ultimately Rosenberry got in the way of him, but I think Rosenberry by reacting first and getting his leg into that area, Sapong is the one that initiates contact, and then thus Rosenberry is the one who has established position so if anything, it's a foul on Rosenberry, This doesn't really matter because half a second later, Yarbrough pounces on the ball and there's no contact on the goalkeeper. But I I could have seen why, Mark, this one would have been deemed a penalty given the position of the ball and the fact that Rosenberry was not in a position to make a play on the ball itself. And ultimately, he makes a play on the opponent, preventing him from getting to the ball. Mark, for you, PK or no, why or why not?
0: I mean, I think that one's also PK. Let's go back to the layout. Uh, PK that I just mentioned before, the, the the first one that led to the first goal, which is that, like, basically Lucas Estevez runs up behind him and then Leal goes down. And it's really hard to tell from the angle that I saw whether he goes down easy or he goes down hard. But I, a thing that I've said on this podcast before is that, um, you know, how it looks is very determined about how things are. If it looks like you run a guy down from behind – You're going to get called. Um, So making sure you don't kind of come in like an idiot from a missile perspective coming from behind is always going to be kind of helpful in that respect. Um, You know, I mean, I think that this second penalty situation from the Rapids perspective is um, uh, just another, you know, it's, it's to some degree, it's just unfortunate that they keep getting into situations where, they look a little bit shaky and so they wind up being shaky. And I think that that's really what's going on here, that they put themselves in positions where they make it look very easy that they, that they commit it. I, I'll go back to um, goal number two for the Rapids though, which is like that it, it's, it's a bit of a mistake from um, William Yarbrough. Like he dives at it, he makes a play at it and he doesn't actually stop it. So um, I mean, I mean, we the problem here, Matt, is we have to go back through four goals. What you're doing here is basically saying, which of the four goals that the Rapids conceded are there are there three of them that aren't um, we're not guilty of? And the answer is not really. you know, it's like we shouldn't have conceded like, okay, maybe we only willfully conceded two of them. But realistically, like, we're at fault for being the worser of two teams. And even if the refereeing went our way, and even if we got better goalkeeping, we still probably lose this game 2-1. to one.
1: Yeah, that was kind of, that's going to be my big thing ultimately, Mark. I don't think the officiating had a significant impact in no. the outcome. I think on the whole of the 90s... Although Robin Frazier disagrees with you. We'll get to that in a minute, Mark. <laughs> but so last PK, I think the one that's the least egregious of it, which would have been in the... Uh, would have been in the 68th minute, and that would have been Michael Barrios and Daniel Lovitz maybe bumping hips. And I think that's pretty clearly Barrios dragging his leg to force contact and then going down way too easily. This is the one of the three, Mark, that I think was least likely to be a penalty. I didn't have any complaints about it. I didn't fully understand Barrios' um, clear grievances with the official on this one. Mark, any any disagreement here? Nope. Not at all. So, Mark, I want to propose maybe a new stat called XPK, like expected penalties, on the actual play where we judge the percentage that we think an individual play or all of the plays combined over the course of a game uh, expected like number of penalties that a team should overall get. I think both of the shouts for... Nashville are questionable are like coin flip ish. So I'm going to say that on the whole of those two plays, Nashville still should have gotten one penalty. I'm going to put the Michael Barrios, Daniel Lovitz challenge at like 0.25. I think that very rarely would have been a penalty. Mark, agree, disagree. And do you think we should make this new stat XPK?
0: I love the idea of the XPK stat. I mean, I really think that, uh, the only thing that that's difficult about it is we the referees make a determination about whether something is an actual PK, and then for us to say, well, no, it's really not, is basically to have to force human beings to go through the tape of each and every uh, PK call and say whether they aren't smarter than the pro referees who make the call themselves. So I don't know. I mean, I think that's the only challenge to the idea, but but um, you know, this was a this was a wicked annoying game because we just weren't quite um in a situation where the game was entirely in our power or our command it was both better controlled by nashville and better controlled by the referees uh, to your point
1: yeah so let's move on to formerly bad things mark uh the rapids were not good defensively in transition i can point out clear errors on I guess with the exception of the PK because I still think it was soft and I don't know I'm not judging William Yarbrough for not saving a penalty though we will get to his first PK save in his MLS career in a couple minutes you know I think that you know Lawless Abubakar again just has a howler on I can't remember if it was the third or the fourth one where he turns the ball over at midfield you had another goal in transition off of a goal kick where Yarbrough had to kick long because of the way that Nashville is pressing and Lewis kind of gives it up easily I think Yarbrough gave gave Lewis far too much to do I think Yarbrough Rose the most at fault in that particular one, but just simple mistakes where the Rapids shoot themselves in the foot. And a number of these goals, Mark, were on rebounds where just the, the effort level and the reaction level from Rapids defenders just wasn't good enough at all. You know, Rosenberry gets dunked on by Mukhtar on his header goal. Schaffelberg has an effective tap and <laughs> Well, you know, I, I've started to list them, Mark, you know, when I tweet out the highlights and everything when I'm live tweeting the game is capitulation. And we saw a lot of capitulation against Philly. And ultimately in the final... 30 minutes against Nashville we saw far too much capitulation and there there wasn't enough chance creation to have that so when your defense is just inherently leaky and you make mistakes and the opponent has really good attacking players that can punish those you have to come out firing on all cylinders Rubio did okay, as I mentioned earlier, but still Jasi's artist isn't as effective enough from a starting striker standpoint. And pretty much everybody else, I can say, is bang average. Lewis doesn't do enough. Barrios didn't do enough. Sam Nicholson did not have a good week. If we're combining what he did against DC United, it just wasn't good enough. Mark, and I'll roll this into, um, you know, my big thing. Ultimately, the the official was irrelevant in terms of the outcome of this game. On the whole of the ninety minutes, I don't know how you can say that. <coughs> Nashville didn't deserve to win. And to Robin Frazier's credit, he said the exact same thing, Mark, with his opening statement saying, Congratulations to Nashville. They took their chance as well. But I need somebody to tell me what the referees are doing every single week. This seems to happen to us. These mystifying calls seem to go against us. He goes on to point out, you know, that, you know, yes, we don't have DPs and big money players. And maybe that has some influence on it. I think he was maybe not connecting those dots because he didn't want to get fined. But, you know, he says, Lucas off penalty, Barrios. penalty. Robin, I disagree with you. Um, uh, Quote, I'm not making excuses. We didn't play well enough. I would agree with you, Robin. You could have just stopped there. Uh, But he goes on to say, I don't think the referees realize how much these calls change games and fates of teams. If I'm public enemy, number one for referees, so be it harsh words from the manager there. Mark, I think to a certain extent, he's trying to step up for his team when they've been snake bitten in so many regards for this game. I think his energy was ultimately um, directed at the wrong personnel. But that's all I have to say about this game, Rabbi. Shall we move on?
0: Uh, I'll just say one. I got to say my big thing, which is uh, how dare you, sir? How dare you? Um, My big thing, I guess, is twofold. One, I think you said a really good thing about defense the defenders not kind of getting to duels um fast enough and effectively enough i think there's a lot of the rapids being late to challenges and being slow um to duels and losing duels i I haven't looked this up i think it's worth looking up before the next time we do a podcast but um that's a classic kind of like the fight is there versus the fight is not there issue which is like the coach compelling the team and the players to go to war and like be fierce and indestructible and uh, furious and going into challenges not recklessly but saying like I can win this 50-50, you know? When players stop committing to 50-50s at the rate that they should, you're moving in a in a bad direction, right? You're you're going in in a bad way. Um, so that's thing one. Thing two is a thing that I have not seen these Colorado Rapids do in a long time. I literally cannot remember the last time we played a game where I felt like we were, we were doing this, um, is, uh, control the midfield, right? Um, be comfortable both dribbling in the, in the middle third of the park and dribbling in the center of the middle of the park, right? Being on the wings is nice. And the Rapids like to go down the wings into the final third a lot, but like, going down the middle is really valuable. You draw defenders, you pull people to you, you can create things and if you really can get into a position to shoot, you can shoot from magical zone 14 where you can really create things. And these Colorado Rapids especially in this game, Nashville especially in the second half were absolutely dominant in the middle of the pitch. Um and I thought that that was a real problem that they have not rectified. Um They did not rectify it against D.C. United, and I felt like it was a major contributor to why we didn't play very well against D.C. United
1: excellent transition rabbi moving on this past sunday dc united and the colorado rapids played to a nil nil draw and it was actually kind of an exciting nil nil draw mark if nothing else there was a penalty and christian benteke did not open his mls account on said penalty the colorado rapids against dc unlike against nashville do not have a very good start mark uh dc united pinning them in to their own box several of opportunities on set pieces, several dangerous crosses into the box. 2-1 Christian Benteke and then their other striker, both of whom were over 6 feet tall. First really good opportunity comes in the 6th minute. Rodriguez to Benteke who floats off the back shoulder of Keegan Rosenberry for a diving header that goes just wide of the opposite post. Felipe Gutierrez gets the first really good opportunity for the Colorado Rapids in the 19th minute with a late run into the box off of a transition sequence and his shot is blocked. The Rapids, as the half goes on, get much more comfortable playing into counterattacks. The movement off the ball and getting the ball into spaces was much better. And then by the end of the first half, they were possessing the ball decently well out of the back. 43rd minute, Diego Rubio gets a shot off from the top of the box. David Ochoa traded from RSL to DC United. That David Ochoa, folks, makes the say on that one. Rubio did have a play on a corner earlier in the half where he headed the ball into the goal. Off of a corner, but there was a foul called before that, and the whistle was uh, called while the ball was still in the air before Rubio even got to it. A bit of a push-off on Russell Knauss on that particular play. We get into the second half, Mike uh, Michael Barrios with a shot in the 55th minute from a sharp angle. That goes off of David Ochoa, and then Jossie artist is right there, but he isn't able to get a real Touch with intent. It is effectively deflects off him and goes over the bar. That could have been an accidental tap in goal for Jossi. 64th minute is where things get really interesting. A PK is called. Keegan Rosenberg with a handball in the box. Arm clearly up in the air. Unnatural position. Clearly makes contact with the ball as he tries to challenge Benteke. In the air, Benteke steps up to take it, Mark, and William Yarbrough makes the save, dives slightly to his right, not well taken in terms of positioning or in terms of level of pace, but nonetheless, Yarbrough gets right and makes a save, deflects it out for a corner. That was the 12th PK that Yarbrough has faced in Major League Soccer, and his first save off of a penalty. A minute later on another corner for DC United, Benteke with a header. Felipe Gutierrez clears it clearly off the line um, right there on the goal line. Nice defensive play by the Chilean international. 84th minute, you had... Ravel Morrison, a substitute, come off the uh, off the bench. And then he gets a shot from the top of the box off of another corner sequence. That goes screaming over the bar. Max to Jossi artist two minutes later uh, has a shot that goes wide of the post. Giassi outstretched for that one, isn't able to get a touch on it. And then Jonathan Lewis in the final minute of stoppage time with a nice run in transition. Cuts inside, goes into the box, but no venom on the shot whatsoever. Can't get enough on it. And Davidochoa makes the easy diving save. Um... Mark, you, this is a nil-nil draw, so it's technically not negative, so I can't give it to you as good thing because it was a nil-nil draw, and I can't ironically give it to you as bad thing because it wasn't a horrible one-sided game. So uh, I'll give you a dealer's choice, good, bad, or big. Uh,
0: the big thing, which is always nice to start with, although you know we, we're better at, at finishing with it, the big thing is it's really interesting that Rapids Twitter basically thought and said out loud after the Nashville game that we were like, this is the end of the season, it's disaster, it's horrible, whatever. And I was kind of like, well, actually the next three games are really important because we have nine points possibly to pick up against three of the weakest teams in the Western Conference. Um, and Or not just the Western Conference, but in, in MLS, which is D.C., Vancouver, and then San Jose. I thought we were done against D.C., which is you know lose it, uh, drawing at this game, even though we put in a good shift, even though we defended well, even though we possessed pretty well, and even though we had some decent chances, and we just didn't finish them. Um, what this game meant was the season is over, and I think that's. I don't think I've had a big thing that's been as big a big thing as this big thing all season, right? Um, and having done this for this is my tenth season watching the Colorado Rapids. Um, Having done this a few times, my sense is trying to figure out when we're done is really valuable. Knowing when to kind of shift expectation and shift your mentality as a supporter is really valuable. Being able to say, like, all right, I'm either not obligated to watch the rest of these games because they mean nothing. Or if I want to watch these games, they're really about 2023 and not 2022 anymore is something valuable to at least be able to say because how you go into a match, when you sit down, why you're watching it, I think is always really valuable. Um, You know, you're, you're watching with curiosity at this point, as opposed to watching with deep emotional investment. And I think that feels better, you know, the next couple games, you don't have to care that much. You can just watch them kind of for S's and giggles, as they say, Um, Matt, what's your dealer's choice, big, bad, or or uh, or good.
1: Well, I'm an engineer and I like order. so I'm going to start in <laughs> proper order and say good thing. you know, I, I thought the defending was much better, Mark, you know, Robin Fraser, you know, for looking at. His opening statements as well, you know, he said he was, quote, uh, proud of the performance. We've given up soft goals lately. Tonight was a step in the right direction. And then he went on through. I don't know if this is a question from me or a question from Brendan Plone, you know, but he said, you know, tonight was a good game for us. We were able to grow into the game. Uh, We learned that if we stop shooting ourselves in the foot, we give ourselves a chance. And I can't remember. um, I think at some point he said something to the effect of, you know, this is something to build on. This is a performance to build on going forward. I will uh, I will agree with him that the defending was much better, and it was a nice, it was a pleasant response given what had happened in the two previous games. And, you know, if I want to highlight a bunch of players, Mark, obviously, you know, William Yarbrough, as I mentioned earlier, with his first PK save in MLS play, I thought he was excellent on the whole of the game. I thought his leadership and his communication to really organize that back line and deal with the movement of Benteke and Miguel Berry, I thought was very good. I, feel like, I think I've been really impressed, Mark, with Felipe Gutierrez's defensive work rate right, and his ability to pop up in areas make a defensive action and then very clearly clear the play in terms of you know dealing putting out the fire immediately and I thought he was excellent on the play where he headed the ball off the line that could have been Christian Benteke's hat trick I I think on another night mark he probably puts that an informed Christian Benteke starting and scoring double-digit goals in the Premier League scores on that header off of the back shoulder of Rosenberry in the sixth minute he converts the penalty easily and then he scores on that corner two minutes later you know I think on another night Benteke gets a hat trick and thankfully he didn't and that was because of the actions of William Yarbrough that was the effort of Lawless Abubakar who I thought was very physical but in a controlled way to where he was able to affect plays but not get himself in trouble with the counterattack transitions or in trouble with the official as in getting a yellow card. I thought Gutierrez was excellent and I thought off the benchmark another pleasantly surprising performance from Max. That doesn't for me undo the disappointment that he has been on the whole of the season and given the aerial threat you know I think Robin Fraser made another point. You know, Miguel Berry is six foot three. Christian Benteke is six foot three. You know, you've got Lawless, who's over six foot, and then your next tallest players are. It would have been Steven Bader shirt five ten. Rosenberry at 5'8", and Lucas Estevez at 5'7". I feel like every single time I've seen Rosenberry go for a header mark, like he's got hops for a guy who's only five foot eight. He's very good in the air. Obviously, he wasn't good in the air on the handball PK call, but I think otherwise on the whole, they made it more difficult for Christian Benteke than it could have been. You know, you figure team coming in, third road game in a week and everything. They've just gotten shellacked with 10 goals in the last two games and everything. This should be a slam dunk for your big DP striker to come in and then finally get off in the snide and get on a good run of form and everything. And the Rapids prevented that. If nothing else, that was a positive thing for me. But my big thing, Mark, is, you know, Frazier saying that it was a positive performance. He's proud of it. It's something to build on. It's far a little too late. The, hey, we got a nil-nil draw on the road against the worst team in MLS in a game in which statistically, we they were the better team. They had more shots, they had more possession, they had higher XG, even if you throw the PK out or anything. If there was a team that was more likely to win this game, there's no question it could have been, and it should have been, DC United. So, you know, I get that he's trying to keep the belief alive, and it's the we defended well, if we attack better then we've got a chance against Vancouver and everything, but I'm, I'm past moral victories at this point, Mark, regardless of the context the only wins right now are actual wins and that needed to be three points so positive performance yes but the result was still ultimately disappointing and to to your point mark your big thing you know ultimately you know this road trip i think signaled the the end of the season i don't know if there's anybody else on rapids twitter any other rapids fan listening to this right now that thinks that this team can or will make the playoffs. And I think most of us were already off that ship at this point, but I think anybody else that was still holding on hope had to have been done after these three games. Um, last thing I'll say, Mark, you know, uh, m- my bad thing is I just, quality in the box and the finishing product ultimately wasn't good enough. Zardes had enough of a really good, really good opportunities um, were, was the ball placement on the service? Perfect. No. Was the outstretched. Did he get close enough on a few of them? I think, yes, this is one of those games where I think, you know, your big DP striker who's in form and is the right guy for your team or playing at a high level, like a mukhtar like a player who would draw penalties where maybe it's questionable in ways that the Rapids are unable to finds a way to convert one of those and the team bunkers in and finds a way to get an ugly one nil victory. Um, that wasn't good enough on chances to where I thought it could have been closer or could have been more, at least could have forced David Ochoa into making a bigger save in ways that William Yarbrough had to make several big saves to keep a clean sheet in this one. Rabbi, anything else you have to say?
0: Um, I mean, I definitely felt like um, this team put in a good shift and played pretty solid, but your point about, Against the last last place team in the league is is well taken. Um, I think also um, there's a world in which Christian Benteke finishes that fifth minute chance and he finishes that PK and we lose two to nothing. Um, there's also a world in which Jossi Zardes finishes that tap in off the um, missed rebound from Lucas Esteves on the long long uh, kind of awkward shot from the left side um, and we win this one nothing. There's there's a, a few ifs and, and buts in this match but ultimately like the Rapids were very rapidy in not being very good at finishing. I will say that there was a lot of good clearing out of the box. I felt like this team, you know, bunkered kind of deep with eight in the box in like like last stand at the Alamo kind of situations and cleared a lot of balls and and that was kind of, you know, encouraging but it like we shouldn't really be in that situation so um it was a it was a decent match um they 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 played they put heart into it and they they played okay um but it wasn't like it it's very um i don't know trying to make uh, lemonade out of lemons to to kind of say what frazier said to to talk about this game as like a moral victory and so on. And it's like, we're just past that at this point. We were we were really hoping to kind of like maybe make the season prolong for a little bit longer. And now we're basically like, yeah, these last five games are pointless, but we'll watch them anyways.
1: We have an Ask HDHL from Scott Hammond. Scott, thank you for the Ask HDHL. He says, are the Rapids unable to sign their targets because players don't want to play for this organization? Rapids or KSE? Mark, the Rapids have, had, have supposedly been pursuing players. Obviously, they've had a number of DP attacking players that they've been linked to in the post-Gelshin-Gashi era of the club. Why are the Rapids not able to get it over the line? Is it due to coming to Colorado where it is cold? Is it due to playing for a team that doesn't have a very good pedigree in the context of the Major League Soccer landscape? Is it KSE or is it some ancillary secondary symptom of one or the other?
0: Listen, when Lucas Zelarayán went to Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, for God's sake, right? Um, Zellerion, a former, like, you know, I wouldn't say star, but like a second tier star for Club America in Mexico, the biggest team in Liga MX, the, the biggest league in North America, and really one of the biggest teams in, um really all of the western hemisphere like he went to columbus man you know so to me it means like listen you got a couple bars you got a nightclub and you're willing to play a deep pay a dp player a lot of money they don't care where you come yes new york and la are always going to beat denver for excitement but like i don't think it has anything to do with location um i think denver could very very well sign a big name player from anywhere if they really, really wanted to. I, they could say, you know, based on the the lack of interest in uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, if you put out enough money and believe it, folks, like the Cronkies have enough money, they dropped $5 billion on the Rams stadium, they could have had Cristiano Ronaldo. And Denver's fine. It's a lovely place. Matt goes hiking in the mountains um, every week and loves to ski A-Basin well into June if he's allowed. Um, you know, Matt would easily take Ronaldo or Messi skiing at A-Basin if he wanted to, right, Matt? You, you would ski with with, with Ronaldo, um, although Ronaldo probably can't come into the domestic United States without being arrested, So, but that's a whole other question that you should Google um, when we're not on the podcast. But anyways, point being, like, I don't think it has anything to do with about money. But Matt, you would go skiing with Messi, wouldn't
1: you? Mark, I would absolutely be <laughs> the Sherpa on places to eat in Denver. I could recommend Argentinian restaurants. I could recommend hikes. We could find something that's fun and easy and like less than a mile and not a lot of elevation. If he wants to bring the kids, I'm not sure how old his children are. To see, I don't think Messi wants to come with me and hike Longs Peak. And I'm not sure that that would be good in terms of the risk stuff that goes into his contract and everything. But if I got to use a buddy pass and. Pay that out of pocket if that is the difference maker that's going to get Lionel Messi in burgundy and blue. I am happy to drop that sixty five bucks in order to make sure that the Colorado Rapids have a star I DP will number give ten. You
0: five of those dollars, Matthew. I will give you <laughs> five dollars to take that to take Lionel Messi on a buddy pass to a basin.
1: Yes. So no, I I think to the I I think the biggest inhibitor, Scott, to the Rapids having targets and being unable to sign those targets, or just limiting how they go about acquiring players is KSC directly from just their refusal to Fund the club. I think that is the biggest inhibitor. I don't know that players care about the ownership situation for clubs anymore. You know, Mark, we're we're far enough away from uh, the recent sale of Manchester City where I think players signing for Manchester City aren't being asked to, you know, validate the environmental and moral implications of a, you know, sovereign wealth state coming out of the Middle East in terms of their ownership there. And I would say at the same time that you know, uh, they're you know, players go to Arsenal, and why do they care about going to Arsenal? Because they're a name brand in world football. Because they're at least now going to be a very competitive team in the Premier League, the most financially rich and best and most competitive, highest level domestic league in world football. And they're playing in London. And I think all of those things matter far more than whether that team is owned by KSE or a venture fund or some other billionaire from some other part of the world or owned by, you know, a Middle Eastern, you know, oil rich state or anything like that. I think it's the fact that, you know, KSE isn't willing to pay these players as much or isn't willing to fund the team in terms of transfer fees, in terms of salary budget that I think inhibits the Rapids being able to – you know, design players. But, you know, to to your point, Scott, um, the Rapids supposedly had a player that they were very interested in, that they got very close to, towards the final couple days of the secondary transfer window, and that didn't come off and the player wants to go abroad. So I think there there is a type of player that the Rapids can sign to come to MLS, to come to the Rapids, and that player has to be bought in to the mission, to the Rapids way, to Robin Frazier, his ideas about the game, and the fact that they work for each other as a team and it's not always going to be pretty, and a lot of effort is required, and stylistically it's going to be interesting and fun, but not necessarily. necessarily easy. Or aesthetically pleasing. And uh, it has to be a player that comes in, I think, with a chip on their shoulder. Make no mistake that, you know, the Rapids absolutely have been revenge of the distressed assets FC for the last several number of years. And so, in that regard, I think it has to be also a player from a particular type of situation that's going to come in and really thrive in addition to being successful. And for all those reasons, that kind of limits what the Rapids are able to go after. And unfortunately, a lot of other teams have seen what the Rapids are doing and doing similar things because Pork Smith and Taylor. Fran- were able to find inefficiencies in the ways that MLS teams can acquire players and how those rules work and then ways in which they could, inefficiencies also in terms of how players are valued at the domestic level. To a certain extent, the Rapids in acquiring Kellen Acosta and then trading him for what they did and what they got for him and doubling up on their money for Mark Anthony K over the course of an 11th month period, that was the Colorado Rapids big shorting the MLS domestic player acquisition Process And at times it's benefited the Rapids financially. At the same time, it's created hella inflation that's going to make it more difficult for them to sign the next Kellen Acosta, the next Lawless Abubakar, the next um, Michael Barrios of 2021, because that player is going to come more of a premium and that's going to limit what they can do financially. Listeners, this coming Saturday at 7.30 p.m. in Commerce City, Colorado, the Colorado Rapids will be hosting the Vancouver Whitecaps, their second game of the regular season against them. Rapids find themselves 11th in the Western Conference. They have 33 points off of 29 games played. That currently puts them just seven games. Seven? No. Nine points behind the Portland Timbers for the last playoff spot in Major League Soccer in the Western Conference. Eight wins, 12 losses, nine draws. Goal difference of minus 12. And at home this season, they are 7-2-5. Vancouver, 10th in the West, one point above the Rapids, 34 points off of 29 games played. 9-13-7 is the record. Goal difference of minus 19 and away from BMO. Not BMO Field. BC placed this season. They are 2-9-4. Mark, we know what Vancouver looks like. We know how they're going to play. The only real big difference between... Uh, the team that set up against the Rapids uh, this uh, just a couple weeks ago and then this coming Saturday is Ryan Gall will be uneligible for this game. Uh, he is on yellow card accumulation, so the guy who scored a brace against the Rapids will not be there. Still, this is a team that likes to play in transition. They have Lucas Cavallini. They have fast guys out on the wide areas where they absolutely dominated the Rapids. Mark, this needs to be three points, and I'm not sure how the Rapids go about getting those three points given the opponent and the circumstances of the Rapids.
0: Yeah, this is um, the Vancouver Whitecaps are fine. They're they're They've they've played kind of above their ability against the Rapids specifically. Um, You know, there's some there's some pieces here that I've always liked. Russell Tybert is always fun. Julian Gressel's with these guys this year, Um, but their leading scorer, as you mentioned, Ryan Gall being out uh, is going to hurt them. They can swap in Lucas Cavallini, who's been, I would say, kind of up and down. He is their leading scorer with eight goals. But Um, I think Ryan Gauld is the hot hand here, but this is just, um, it doesn't really matter how good or bad the Whitecaps are. It's really about the Rapids being able to execute and get up for these matches. It feels like the Whitecaps are probably still in it. um, Whereas the Rapids are not. I know that sounds kind of absurd considering they're only separated by one point, but like that point kind of matters. You know what I mean? Like, like, it still feels like all these teams are kind of scrumming for the bottom of the league at this point that um, Vancouver, Colorado, sporting uh, and San Jose are on the outside looking in and Seattle are still kind of in the mix. The galaxy, despite looking pretty lousy this weekend um, are still in the mix, but like, you know, the Rapids can't really be set, be happy with settling for a draw here. They need a win and then they need a win against San Jose and then they need a win in the game after that or the game after that. And, you know, they're five winless. Uh, there's no evidence that they're going to suddenly show up in this match. So um, Vancouver is, you know, even if they pull out a draw in this one, it's probably not enough for Vancouver and it's not enough for the Rapids. Uh, to that point, and the last thing I'll say is this, this could be a really fun game. You know, these, are, these could be two teams that are not interested in playing for a draw and they may come out hammer and tongs trying to go, you know, ballistic and crazy. And that might be inter- entertaining soccer.
1: And last two players that I'll highlight, Mark, uh Brian White has been the other striker that we've seen up top for the Vancouver Whitecaps. He was acquired. Uh, he was New York Red Bulls guy. Yes, Rabbi, I think. White Brian White maybe I think so I'll,
0: I'll take your word for it brother I
1: think so and he's been a little bit inconsistent he's energetic he's kind of their Jeremy Ebobisi Diego Rubio ish player where Cavallini is more of the traditional number nine and Ryan Gauld's kind of that ten false nine striker as well and then Christian Dahomey has been the other player I believe he was in he wasn't I believe he wasn't available for the this previous fixture I can't remember if he was suspended or injured but he brings a lot of speed um, and energy on the ball usually playing on the left-hand side, but, you know, Mark, I look at it, you know, without Ryan Gall, that's maybe without the center of your key chance creator, but, you know, still... The Rapids are going to give up chances. They're going to make it easy on the opponent, and if they do that, I would think that Vancouver has enough quality in order to convert on those chances, and then Julian Gressel has been great for Vancouver since being traded over from DC United, and so I just, Mark, I don't have a lot of faith, whether it's Lucas Estevez or whether it's Anthony Markanich or maybe your best option, Mark, if Danny Wilson somehow is able to get back from from the injury that he sustained in Philadelphia, you go back four, and then you go Keegan Rosenberry to his natural right-back position, and then Betasher on the left. Left in order to try and shut down the left-hand channel for Colorado, right-hand channel for Vancouver. But if it's Estevez or it's Mark Canic, Julian Gressel is going to win that battle 1v1. Um, so I'm, I'm not super optimistic about this game, Mark. It, it should be said that... Vancouver are winless since their win over the Rapids. They got a 1-1 draw at Vancouver, and then they got shellacked by Nashville at home, and then they lost this past weekend to San Jose Earthquakes by a score of 2-0. This is a team, like I said, bad on the road, 2-9-4 and this entire season. So you'd think this is a weekend opponent, Mark. If I had to guess, I'd say Neil Miller or 1-1 is probably the most likely outcome. If the Rapids are able to do against Vancouver what they did against DC, I think they should be solid enough defensively to wear without gold vancouver doesn't have the quality to finish those two or three really good chances the rapids will ultimately give up to them but i i've been impressed with what thomas asal has done i've been impressed with blackman and uh, Veselini I can't remember I don't, I don't know how to say that number four their other center back that they have and I'm just not sure that the Rapids are going to have enough bite in the attack given what's going on with Zardis, given Barrios and Lewis and Nicholson not being effective from a wide roll and this team being Diego Rubio dependent and due to the nature of the Rapids midfield Rubio has to play there and that puts him further away from goal and then thus less effective in this I got a one-to-one draw Mark what do you got
0: uh Vancouver wins two to nothing. The rapids are gonna start to unravel because there's nothing to play for.
1: Shall we get out of here? Yeah, your
0: podcast tonight is brought to you by the same people who bring this podcast to you every night. And that's Roughneck Scars and Icarus F-Ski, FC Fski. Um, makers of custom neckwear and custom kits for all events for your favorite team, youth up to Your national team, they'll provide it all. Roughneck will give you uh, bulk orders. I think the minimum number for an order is 50, but like, you know, that's like this year's bachelor party and the bachelor party in 20 years when this first marriage doesn't work out. So think about that for the next time you're coming up with some uh, reason to go out and spend some money on something fun and exciting. In the custom colors custom designs that you want to provide matt tell them how to hit us up on the socials how to write to us or how to read our written work like the upcoming part two of jack price's interview with holding the Highline on our Substack.
1: uh follow us collectively on twitter folks at soccer underscore rabbi at lws matt pollard and at rapids 96 podcast check us out on the internet machine at soccer at pittsburgh soccer now at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer and at holdingthehighline.substack.com. As Mark just referenced, you can view us in web form there. You can subscribe to our email newsletter. And that's also the best way to support us financially. Uh, you can become a paid highliner at our sub stack, five bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year. Listeners, we'll see you next week. Please.
0: you up the Segway, Bubby. I'm giving it to you on a silver platter. When I when I serve it to you at the back post, tap that sucker in, my brother!
1: Mark, I'm GLC's artist, I apologize. <laughs>